across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right. It's been a while, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I think it was Christmas I was last here. Was it Christmas? Yeah, yeah. We're feeling festive. <laughs> There's lots of good food here. You've got jams and pickles and preserves and meats and beer and all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to have a feast now. God, Allah, Buddha, bless Mill Road. Mill Road is awesome. You could taste chocolate forever. Yeah. Like, really good chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Gingerbread men of all shapes and sizes. Whoa, that's fizzy. Yeah, that, that <laughs> takes your head off. And the food is great, and the wine is obviously fantastic. Doesn't that look lovely? We had music all day, I did pancakes all day. Holly and um, Tiny Robbins. At the end of the night, we all eat together with the staff. I love this place, it's, it's unique in Cambridge. You've got people and you've got food, and that's all you need, and conversation springs forth. Good afternoon and welcome to our Christmas edition of Flavour. I'm Matt Bentman. Sue Bailey can't be with us today, so it's just myself and Alan Alder to guide you through the Christmas food and drink in and around Cambridge. And today we'll be having lots of Christmas ideas and features, but we will start with news about Omicron, which we really can't ignore. Then we'll be hearing from all sorts of Cambridge area food people about what they'll be eating on Christmas Day and what they enjoy eating after Christmas Day. Uh, we'll have ideas for using Christmas dinner leftovers to create something every bit as enjoyable as the main event itself. Uh, we're visiting a Christmas market too. And we'll be going foraging for things that you can use in your Christmas food and drink. So some really nice features coming up. But we're starting with a look at the impact of the Omicron virus. It's hitting restaurants and cafes hard. Restaurants where it's usually difficult to get a table, like Midsummer House and Restaurant 22, suddenly have them available. The Plough in Coton has had the extraordinary experience of this week being judged one of the top 50 gastropubs in the country and congratulations to them for that, while having more than 700 cancellations. The plough in Shepreth, as we reported last time, has shut down. Pint Shop is reducing, it, uh, reducing its opening hours because of Covid. Next week, the restaurant will be open on Monday to Thursday from noon till 8 and the bar from noon till 10. Burwash Larder will only be open from 10 to 2 this Monday and there will be no butchery that day. The situation is badly affecting many of our Cambridge area eating and drinking and retailing places. Private chefs too are suffering. I spoke in an outdoor, socially distanced way with local chef Rosie Sykes about the situation. Rosie, is this new coronavirus variant uh, affecting you as a chef at all? Yes, it has done, Alan, actually. And that started two weeks ago now. People started cancelling events. We, I had a very large event for 250 planned, uh, which was cancelled four hours, four days beforehand, which I felt at the time was very understandable because 250 in an enclosed space uh, still feels not quite right. But since then, I've had two smaller events cancel, and I gather from friends who have restaurants 
that they're getting a lot of cancellations for bigger bookings. This is the time of year when restaurants make, I would have thought, most of their money. And it the, is. The tips are probably more generous Absolutely, in the year Alan. as well. And the, the booze bills are normally bigger. And, yeah, it is definitely a time to be making money. Right, so, so I think, how, how are people feeling? I think a bit squeezed, a bit squeezed, because everybody thought that we were in a safer place and that they could start to recoup and that's probably not necessarily the case and the problem is as well that the price of food has risen a lot which which is very hard to pass the cost on of because people still aren't really aware of the real cost of food so people is is a great struggle at the moment if you own a um, establishment as far as i can tell so we might we might see a few closures possibly we might i i really hope not i think everybody's going to do whatever they can to not get themselves into that position yeah but fingers crossed for everybody really today i've just been at uh, the cambridge sustainable food redistribution hub and they're sending out over 600 hampers to people in need of food this christmas so that's a bag of fresh vegetables and then a, a, a bag full of Christmassy things and essentials like soap and to 600 households that's a lot more than they've done in the past yes um so it's affecting everybody uh everywhere i think and I suppose also people who actually are employed in restaurants will be feeling a bit jittery because if numbers are dropping, yes. they're not yeah. as much... If they're on, if they're on uh, zero-hour contracts or anything like that. Yes, it is an anxious time and the furlough's gone and January is notoriously quiet. We just have to hope that perhaps... Quite a few people have said they want to defer their events until they feel safer. So... Let's hope that if we all are sensible now, January will be a time of boom. Deferred gratification. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Well, January might be better for some, but there's an Instagram posting just gone up from the Cambridge Baking Company, who we featured on Flavour a while ago, saying, Today is a really sad day. We should be at the Be Social Cambridge Independent Market. That's at the junction, if you're not sure. However, I made the really difficult decision not to attend. I have family members with COVID, and it has put everything into perspective going into the Christmas period. I'm absolutely gutted to not be there today. And believe me when I say the decision wasn't made lightly. Hours and hours of hard work has gone into preparing for the event, not to mention the financial commitments. We have been left with around 100 Christmas products with best before dates till April 2022. So we are going to try and make this into a positive. We've come a long way since winning the Best New Business Award back in March and this is just a bump in the road. For today and tomorrow until 8pm only, all bottles will be £10. We can't guarantee delivery before Christmas, but first-class postage is an option for everyone at the checkout, and we will post all orders out on Monday morning. It's been an incredibly difficult year for all small businesses, and, as always, we really appreciate your support. Well, that's from the Cambridge Baking Company, and you can order their things uh, via links on their Instagram page. Mm. Uh, But let's 
hope for everyone that January does bring better things. Uh, and Rosie Sykes, who we heard just there, will be back with some ideas for delicious things to do with Christmas leftovers shortly. Now, Rosie mentioned the work of the Cambridge Sustainable Food there, which is providing a Christmas meal to older residents who are in sheltered housing. Local businesses have rallied together, with Cam's Cuisine and Fitzwilliam College donating the Christmas meals. And Cambridge Sustainable Food's team of committed volunteers will be working hard in the lead-up to Christmas to ensure that the residents get their festive meal on the 23rd of December, collecting and delivering those, these donations while spreading a little Christmas cheer across the city. This project builds on the work of last year which saw Fitzwilliam College and Cam's Cuisine donating over 200 meals and puddings to residents across Cambridge. Now here are some examples of free food available right now in and around Cambridge and the information comes from the Olio app which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, and a quick gander at the Olio app tells us that Jason near the Beehive Centre has a rather understated regular lime to give away. He'll leave it outside the house for pickup upon request and it'll sit there looking very regular. <laughs> uh, and Nat uh, near Kettle's Yard, she has various frozen bread rolls going spare. Mariana at King's Hedges has half a box of eggs ready to go. Best before the 21st of December, she says. And finally, Carol was the Olio food champion this time around. She collected plenty of free food from pret and other places to make available for collection, including baguettes, mineral water, gluten-free loaves, curled leaf parsley, chilies, mushrooms and pret sandwiches. And that is just a hint of what's been available both currently and recently on the Olio app. And don't forget uh, the other free app called Too Good To Go. It's how to get unsold food from restaurants, cafes and bakeries at less than half price. Uh, they do this so that unsold food isn't wasted by being thrown away. So what are people eating this Christmas? Here's Alex Rushmer of Vandalisle, Simon Fraser of Hot Numbers and Jin Yu Chung, the baking gin, with their choices. For, for, for us, beef is, has always been traditional. Rib of beef is what we've had for probably the last 20 years, I think. Um, I don't know, I'm hoping that if, if the circumstances allow and if, if the planets align and if everything is safe, then I might actually be away from the UK uh, for Christmas this year, possibly. Um, ideally in some sort of far-flung location. So my, I think my ideal Christmas uh, lunch this year will probably be something inspired by Thailand in, in, in the hope that um, if I'm not actually there, then it will be about as close as I can possibly get. So my, one of my favourite things to eat is, uh, is a salad called Som Tam, which is a green papaya salad. Very, very spicy, very, very fiery. Lots of acidity and lime juice and sugar. And in the depths of winter, I think that's the sort of thing that occasionally is quite nice to eat. <laughs> so either river beef or something inspired by uh, far-flung far, far lands. Right, thank you. Um, mince pies I tend to eat in the run-up before Christmas. I don't think I've ever had room for a mince pie on Christmas Day. Um, I, usually have a, I usually have a gap, having piled my plate twice over and eaten far too much. A gap, and then probably attack the cheese board at about 9 o'clock. No, no Christmas pudding. I, don't, I, don't, I do enjoy Christmas pudding, but I think I prefer Christmas pudding um, maybe on Boxing Day. That's probably a, a time that I have Christmas pudding. Right, OK. Well, I'm going to be very traditional here and just say the turkey and the roast and all the trimmings uh, from my mother because uh, I don't nearly get enough of uh, mother's roast dinners. So when I do, it's a treat. So, yeah, and this is a big one.
I think probably the traditional Turkey normal British families would have. I normally go down to visit my auntie and uncles, so they would normally create a feast of turkeys, a good Christmas dinner. Sometimes they will introduce some East flavors, such as some Chinese-style stir-fries and stuff to just mix everything in. I have my Christmas orange chiffon cake, which I have been creating and for sale for few years already. So I think I will probably create fields and bring to families and friends and have it together. Mm. Uh, on to our first news break now. Meadows in Eltersley Avenue is now selling wines. They have had temporary licences in the past, but this is a permanent one. The wines are low intervention from small independent producers. And unusually, Meadows is open tomorrow. That's Sunday from 10 till 4, and it will be open every day this week until Friday when it will shut at 2pm to reopen on the 29th of December. After that, it's closed from the 1st until the 6th of January. Uh, Provenance has a few spaces available tomorrow as a result of some cancellations. Also tomorrow, Guillermo of the Azahar Stool at Cambridge's Sunday Market has an anchovies section at a discounted price. Meanwhile, today, at St Ives Market, Heath Fruit Farm is selling apples, pears, frozen cherries, plums, jams, juices, potatoes and other veg as well, as, uh, as well as juice gift boxes. Harvest in Mill Road is open on Christmas Day from 11 till 4, on Boxing Day from 11 till 7 and also on New Year's Day from 10 till 7. Finboy's Christmas orders deadline is the 21st of December. You can order from their online shop and, well, that's all for now. We'll have more news later. OK, here are some cheese lovers who are looking forward to Christmas cheese. They're Sean Anderson from Cuco Communications, Simon Gibson from Simon Cider and Steve Thompson, the foreign the foraging chef and finally Charlie Crick Collins chef at Cota in Eddington so for me Christmas is all about the cheese Christmas Eve finishing off the last sort of little bits and pieces for for Christmas lunch and having a vacherin with lots of chunky crusty bread and lots of dips is definitely something I love doing so I'll probably be having a little visit to Meadows uh, in Newnham to make sure I've got that order in for that because Christmas isn't Christmas without a huge cheese board my absolute passion is russet apples blue cheese, oat cakes. I don't believe russet apples should be eaten after Christmas Day. They, they are they're crisp, they're lovely, they've got so much flavour to them, a beautiful bit of Stilton with them, a lovely oat cake just to break it up, and maybe a Simon cider to go with it as well. This time of year, a nice bit of Mount Dor, Vacheran, uh, left on the side so it's crawling, some Baron Big Brie, which is a nice Norfolk one, which is absolutely fantastic, or some Epoise or something like that, a nice, real smelly, gooey cheese is absolutely the one for me. I always like to roast a turkey on Christmas. I think it's really traditional. My son loves it. Personally, for me, it can't be a really good cheese board and a nice glass of port. And this year, I'll be buying my cheese from Rennet and Rhines and the local cheese manga because there's some fantastic options. And they do a mystery cheese box for Christmas. So get involved. It's going to be great. Oh, that was good. I do love um, a big slab of cheddar with Christmas cake and a massive mug of hot steaming tea. That's <laughs> always tea good. Come into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, it's always nice to capture a bit of the Christmas spirit for this episode. And in the past, we've been at the Mill Road Winter Fair, Mitchums and More on Mitchums Corner, and also Cambridge Market to get that community Christmas feel. 
This time around, we went to Trumpington Meadows, which is a very new development, and a regular new market is going on there. And because of its location, it tends to draw in stalls that you wouldn't necessarily find closer to town. It all started with a little red trolley outside my gate, because I have a passion for homemade jams. This is Julia. I'm Julia Goodwin. I'm a hobby jam maker, and I trade as the jam trolley. Jam for sale via that festive red jam trolley on her business card. However, at the Christmas market in Trumpington Meadows, she had stacks of the stuff, lit with torches so the customers could see on a pitch-dark winter's evening. It is a little bit more difficult, because obviously people have got to read quite small labels on the jam jars. It depends what you're selling. And Julia sells a variety. Well... We should do, but if we get the frost at the wrong time, it can cause the blossom to be lost. Like this year, there hasn't been many cooking apples around because the frost affected the blossom in the bud. Some trees have only had about four or eight apples on this year. And quinces, there's only been about eight quinces on a tree this year. Another is the medlar tree. It's not every year we're getting a crop. Some trees, it takes 15 years before they're mature enough to grow fruit. And when you need that kind of time, you need someone with a lot of patience, like Julia's other half. I'm Chris, I'm Julia's husband, and I'm a hobby woodworker for at least 40 years. I do a range of items, some of which I have here. A beer bottle holder, a garden truck, and also some little holders for jams. Chris makes the fancy holders, Julia concentrates on the fruits, the quantities, and the varieties. I make a lot of jams, and I like experimenting with new ones. Some of her most popular jams are the mixed berry, which contains five different fruits, including blueberries, and also there's the blueberry and apple mix. Uh, separate to that, her marmalades do really well too, including the lemon and ginger marmalade. And, shortly, they're going to start making Seville marmalade as well. Each year I have plenty of plums and that, so that's how it all began, because I hate to see garden food going to waste. And minimising waste is something that you'll find quite often now around the local markets, whether that's in the fruit, the veg, the food itself, but also the packaging. We've talked about eco-friendly packaging a couple of years ago with the team behind Full Circle and the Radmore Farm Shop, to name two. But even at this Christmas market, there was a new team on hand to help you keep plastic free. So I'm Dan and my partner Gabby, and we run Green Pear Eco. <laughs> pear is in the fruit. <laughs> yeah, pear is in the fruit. It's a bit of a random one. Yeah. <laughs> Everything from beeswax wraps and paper tape's been really popular so far this year. Um, it's obviously, you know, wrapping presents, people normally use sellotape, so... Um, and then our mobile refill station and people can bring their bottles along to us and trying to help help the community reduce their plastic use so yeah, yeah I, I think it's becoming more in the public eye you know with programs like planet earth and plastic is not great there's too much of it around and you know it is it hangs around forever it doesn't yeah, go anywhere it's, it's so. damaging the yeah. environment it's damaging people's yeah. livelihoods people's health so um, all those little things like reducing cling film when you know preparing food or when storing food it all helps and so. we have really noticed it at the markets as well so the coffee truck here he's really on it he only has i think he said he's reduced his plastic by 80 percent he has bamboo cutlery and all cardboard boxes for all his food and cardboard wrappers and 
you know, we really appreciate that because we struggle when we go out day to day and get food on the go because normally it's wrapped in plastic which, and we live plastic free in our own lives. So yeah, we really appreciate things like that because it means we can eat out and support other local businesses as well. So yeah, it's, it's good to see everybody's on board with it. Yeah. Also offering a refill delivery service for kitchen and bathroom cleaners and washes, that's greenpareco.com because you can find them either at the markets or online. And just then, that signaled the arrival of Father Christmas and his sleigh for the children, and then the carols got going. In amongst this local community spirit, I met Hannah, whose community spreads across continents, thanks to some coffee. 18 years ago, I went to Uganda as a student nurse, got salmonella, got picked up by an African lady called Agnes, who introduced me to her school. Everything we're selling today is for the children that we support in Uganda, and we also pay for the teachers' salaries to make sure that they are paid a fair wage. We've had children in the 18 years become doctors, there's a girl called Ruth. I first met, she was four. She's now a professional chef. And then another girl called Christine, who is now a nurse. You see these children from young right through. And it's incredible to see because we've supported her through everything. I was walking around a craft market 2019 and saw coffee. And I was like, why don't I set up a coffee company? And it is completely non-profit. I don't take money from it. I, don't, I have no intention of making money from this. Uh, for me, it's about seeing these children thrive and be happy. We first brought the coffee over in August 2020. We sold our first bag of coffee in September last year. And so far, we've nearly sold about three tons. So we go to fairs like this. We bring over Ugandan coffee. You know, I have some people who drink two kilos a month. And if I had 100 of those or 200, that supports the school right the way through. So we import our own beans. We've got Elgon roast, 100% Arabica, AA grade, taste notes, chocolate, almond, blackcurrant, very smooth. Today we've launched our brand new roast, which is called Kamacha, which is morning in Ugandan. That is a stronger blend, so half Robusta, half Arabica, and it's all Ugandan. And then we've got another blend called Nectar Roast, which actually isn't here today. The beans are flying in in the next two weeks, and that's a honey processed. It's where the beans are dried in their cherries, so it, it gives the syrup taste to it. So if you like sugar in your coffee, you would love Nectar Roast, and then you don't have to add the sugar. <laughs> and each 250 bag of coffee pays for seven hours of teacher's salary. So that's Hannah and her business is called kickstartcoffee.org. She delivers for free in Cambridge, in plastic tubs too, and in a nod to Pear & Co and other eco-conscious tradespeople, which is most people now, Hannah will deliver you that tub, you drink your coffee, and then she'll come and collect the empty and refill it. See, sometimes living in the future isn't so bad. Uh, a very Merry Christmas to all of us as the Mayor St Michael's. And can we have a big round of applause to the City of Cambridge Brass Band? You are absolutely stunning and marvellous. Thank you very much. I'm the Reverend Stephen Dove. I'm curate at uh, St Mary's St Michael's in Trumpington. 
Santa has been round both this Trumpton Meadows development and also one called Glebe Farm. And it's been amazing to see people come out of their houses, wave and want to have their photos taken with Santa. Also, I think uh, the last year we've been so starved in the last 18 months of community and of people and being able to be with each other. And so this has been a great event organised by local residents to get us together, to gather us around Christmas, which as an ordained minister is one of my favourite times of year. And it started last year when people were in their homes and couldn't really come out. Santa went around and gave out chocolate with a litter picker uh, so that everything was socially distanced. And this is like round two, but uh, even bigger and better. And we look forward to more in the new year, potentially a Chinese New Year celebration, uh, which should be lots of fun, I think. Yes. Just time to squeeze in one more stall holder. Uh, my name's Jeanette and I'm from Ely Queen Bees. And I have a Facebook page under Ely Queen Bees. Hopefully I'll have a website sometime in the new year. So on the table today I've got my peanut butter and honey and cinnamon spread. I've got some walnuts in raw honey, they're toasted walnuts. I've got toasted mixed nuts in honey. I've got spiced honey, which is spiced with cinnamon and nutmeg and vanilla and ginger and allspice. And I've got some crystallized ginger in honey as well. And then we have, I tend to play around a little bit. So I've got some pear and chutney honey because I had a glut of pears this year. And then with the wax that I get from the hives, I make candles and I make shoe polish. And this year I've made some Christmas decorations. And every hive will produce a different flavoured and coloured honey and a different consistency at different times of the year. So I can take two lots of honey from two hives that are two feet away and they will be completely different. I give all the queens a name, it's a girl's name obviously. So there will be Emily, there will be Tessa, Ursula, Beryl, all sorts of different names. I've got some hives booked to go to a bean crop because that produces a very sweet, floral, delicately coloured honey. I only take mine for a couple of weeks a year to a particular crop, so if I can, I'll take them to a rape crop, so if there's any farmers out there growing rape next year, yes, please. I love it. I love what I do. I love playing with the honey. I love producing the honey. I love watching the bees. You know, it's a, it's a great thing to do throughout the seasons. I was lucky enough to be visited by one of the bee inspectors recently, uh, on a, a routine inspection just to come and check that my hives were healthy. It's part of what the government provides. They are livestock. They have to be looked after as livestock. They are a responsibility. But he keeps his bees in Cambridge and he knows of a lot of keepers within the city. So it's, it's going on there. You might not see it, but it's there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ooh, fireworks. Wow. Merry Christmas. Thank you very Thank much. You very Thank much. you. I guess it's what floats your boat. Merry Christmas to you too. Okay, time to catch up with the organisers. So it's the end of the evening. I'm here with Karen Lamb and Julian Rizvi. And uh, I think it was six months ago when I was last here and speaking to you. So that was June 2021, of course. And here we are at the end of the Christmas the Christmas markets and the Christmas fair. I just wondered how it's all, how it's all gone for you. Well, it's been amazing, absolutely amazing. Yes, and I think even all our stall holders who've come, I mean, they're just amazed at the community feel that there is over here and they enjoy coming to our markets and they always want to come back because it's, it's just always got a great vibe. There's people here who have probably only moved in maybe two weeks ago or even, you know, yesterday. 
And here we are putting an event on and everybody's welcome. And I think the good thing is that we've not restricted it to Trumpington Meadows. We um, have opened it to the wider Trumpington area. So, uh, you know, the other new development and the old Trumpington, the sleigh's been going around. It went last weekend to the old Trumpington. So we're building, I think, trying to build Trumpington as a whole. Any uh, markets coming up in the new year? Yes, we hope to resume sometime in March, April again when the weather's a bit better. But um, plans are in place for celebrating Chinese New Year on the 6th of Feb, just so that everybody here feels welcome and a part of a community. Lovely. Thank you very much, Gillian. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Uh, Can we go home now? Because we're naked. <laughs> we're all going to go. Thank you. She's good. She remembers stuff, you She's see. Good. I have no idea. I'm just droning in on about Father Christmas. <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's see how we sound, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it wasn't recording. What? I'm only joking. Oh, it? my God. <laughs> we're not easy. Uh, many thanks to all who took part in that feature. You'll find all those people at Future Markets, of course, but they are online too. So uh, just very quickly, first up was The Jam Trolley. Their website is thejamtrolley.co.uk. Next is Dan and Gabby of greenpeareco.com. Then there was Hannah from kickstartcoffee.org. And finally, Jeanette, who can be found on her Facebook page called Ely Queen Bees. But of course, she is hoping to have a website up in the new year to sell her very varied honey flavours. Uh, let's hear now from some more local food people about what they'll be eating at Christmas. Here are Chef Rosie Sykes, Robert Short from the Queen's Head in Newton and Robert Bounsfield from Heath Fruit Farm in Bluntisham. Well, I'm a big fan of a ham. That's normally my go-to. If there are a lot of us, I might say a goose breast or something as well, just for a little mouthful. But actually what I would probably do with that was maybe cure it or something and have it as a starter with some pickled quinces and a little salad or some pear or something. But for the main event, I'm a big fan of a ham, Brussels sprouts, obviously, roast potatoes... I would cook them probably in the ham stock and then roast them to get extra flavour in, parsnips, all the usuals. And then for pudding, I'd normally do a steamed, not Christmas pudding, so something like a steamed ginger sponge with some mincemeat in it and custard or brandy, brandy custard. Not a big fan of brandy butter. My mother always made brandy butter. And it's nice if you can sort of melt it inside a mince pie or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't really see the point of it. It's a bit excessive, even for me, the queen of butter. I think it's really nice to sort of do half your Christmas at lunchtime and and a bit of it later, because I think you really appreciate it a lot more if you're going to go all out. Um, So I would always do, say, uh, the goose salad that I was suggesting to you and maybe... The Christmas pudding at lunchtime, go for a big walk in the afternoon, have a little lie down and then have the ham, etc. in the evening. Well, surprise, surprise, we're going to be eating turkey this Christmas, like most people. When it comes to my favourite thing at Christmas meal, I suppose it's got to be the turkey, actually, funny enough. I know everyone thinks it's a bit boring and everything else, but I do enjoy it. It is only once a year. So that's what I tend to enjoy most. Well, I'll be happy if I have a nice roast dinner, maybe some roast turkey or beef and some roasted vegetables, maybe even followed up by a Bramley apple pie with some mincemeat in it as well to give it a seasonal twist. 
What will you be having, Alan? Well, we're going to one of my daughters uh, for Christmas, so for the first time we won't be cooking it ourselves. Ah. Uh, and we're going to be having roast turkey, and I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll be doing the same. Um, yeah, I'm what, being... you're going to my daughters as well? <laughs> she didn't tell me that. <laughs> oh, there's a good gag. <laughs> <laughs> And there's the Twitter, the Twitter news, of course, which, if you've ever wondered, is the original Rockin' Robin by Bobby Day from 1957. And that means it's the time for our minutes of news and social media. Uh, yes, uh, and there's been quite a lot. Um, so quickly, Steak and Honour are at the Bank Micro Pub in Willingham tonight from 5 till 8. Uh, Roberto's Deli is going to be on Cambridge Market every day up until Christmas Eve, and he's got some... Stinking Bishop Cheese, Mont d'Or, Blue Stilton in Pots, Roblochon, but also things like chilli sauce, chilli jelly, uh, homemade pesto olives, cured meats, artisan panettone, all sorts. Café Foy on the quayside is open on Monday and Friday only next week, Monday 11 to 4, Friday 11 till 2. Uh, Hot Numbers has a husky pack for... £20, a tote bag with 250 grams of coffee and an 8-ounce husky cup. And that's made from... It's a sustainable cup. It's made using leftover husk from coffee production. It's, <laughs> it doesn't leak and it's, uh, it's dishwasher-friendly too. Fantastic. Very Sounds very good, yeah. And that's it. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Uh, now, what will Pina from One Two Culinary Stew, Alessandro from Signorelli, and others be having for Christmas dinner? And who's saying bar humbug and will be doing his annual tax return instead? Who can it be? It's a well-known voice on flavour. That's all coming up in two minutes' time, along with foraging spices for your mulled wine and your winter salad with foraging chef Steve Thompson and some very tasty and inventive ideas for cooking Christmas leftovers from Rosie Sykes. See you in two minutes. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge. Mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. If you're like me, you've got a family and a business, and you want to protect what's most important when the chips are down. With Woodfine Solicitors, that's exactly what happens. I got a bespoke legal service from a friendly expert team. They really listened to what was going on and tailored their recommendations to my situation, which was, well, that's another story. Anyway, the best thing was that it all happened online. A few simple clicks and I had my quote. That freed up time to focus on everything else. Get the help you need when you need it most. Visit woodfinds.co.uk or call Cambridge 411421. Woodfinds, cutting through the red tape. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to the Christmas edition of Flavour. Now, some of us really look forward to whatever is made with the leftovers from Christmas dinner. Peter Rawlins from Pinch in Rose Crescent, for example probably have the, a lot of the same as, as many people but for me probably the most enjoyable meal is not not the main 
roast dinners and things like that but maybe the a day or two later when you have all the cold cuts all the bits and pieces the amalgamation of a week's worth of cooking different things you can stick it all on one big plate and cover it with pickles and uh, chutneys and all of that all of that for me that's the best part okay and let's get some other ideas for christmas leftovers from rosie sykes in our outdoor recording Rosie, for people who have things left over which they haven't eaten for their Christmas Day dinner, have you got any suggestions about how they could use them perhaps on Boxing Day? Absolutely, Alan. Well, the classic is a pie. That could be anything ranging from, you know, if you've had beef, you could make almost like a cottage pie. If I were you, I'd go with a bit of spice or something, perhaps even a bit Middle Eastern, just to switch it up on Boxing Day. But otherwise, if you've had turkey or ham, a lovely combo is some turkey, some ham, a white sauce of some sort, all your roasted vegetables can go in there, maybe some of your stuffing, a few chestnuts, uh, and then pop a short pastry lid on top or a puff pastry, or if you've got the wherewithal, suet. We always love suet pastry. Um, You can put some of your gravy in there. It's a great cover-all basically Christmas all over again. This sounds very nice. I've never done that. Yeah, it, it works well. It works well. It's, and it's nice if you've got different people coming on Boxing Day. I've been to people's houses and had a Christmas leftover pie and felt very pleased because their Christmas dinner was very different from mine. But um, the other thing is a soup. That's a great leftover use-up. So you could do a real classic kind of cream of turkey soup which, again, is a real catch-all for all your roasted vegetables. Thicken it with the roasted vegetables. Start with some onions and things, and then add in your roasted vegetables, uh, a load of butter, some cream, probably some brandy, and then shred in the meat. And the nicest thing to do with that kind of a soup, I think, is to blend it so it's really smooth and rich. Um, And... And it kind of is so comforting on Boxing Day and quite nice and easy, really. Um, but I personally am planning, I'm, I'm having beef, uh, a Jersey sirloin on Christmas Day. And with my leftovers, I'm going to um, cut it, shred it quite finely and make a kind of Thai-inspired um, hot kind of... was. It's not really a salad, it's a kind of hot beef that you eat inside a lettuce leaf. So uh, you fry up the beef and you could add in shredded up leftover roast carrots or parsnips or whatever. Um, And with it, garlic, ginger, chili. uh, And then when it's all nice and fried up, throw in some fish sauce and some rice vinegar, good squeeze of lime juice. um, And then a lovely handful of chopped herbs, mint, Uh, coriander, parsley whatever you've got, I really would recommend that you always have some coriander about about your house Um, and then have that in lettuce leaves that's really delicious that sounds fantastic Um, and the other one that um, is nice for all leftovers is stuffed cabbage leaves so if you've bought your sprouts on a, a stem like if you're a Morris dancer on the top there'll be lovely leaves often, if you save those leaves Um, Cut out any really hard stems. Give them a couple of minutes in boiling salted water, the leaves, not the stems. And and then make a mixture with your stuffing, shred some meat into that, chop up your 
leftover veg, all sorts of things. Just put a blob inside each leaf, wrap it all up and put it into a buttered dish with this kind of seam at the bottom. Uh, and then if you've got gravy left over, I would let it down so it's almost like a thin stock. Season it all very well, put the gravy over so it's just kind of covering the leaves. Uh, dot some butter on top and bake that in the oven. That is absolutely delicious. It kind of goes a little bit crisp on top and there's all these lovely juices for mopping up with bread. It's really good um, and not too much work. I mean, the, the rolling up is a bit of work. But what I did earlier in the year, I, I had a fig tree outside the door where I was working and I'd made these stuffed cabbage leaves and I just laid um, fig leaves on top when I was baking it and the amazing flavour of the fig leaf, which is kind of coconutty. I can't really explain. It's a really amazing flavour. Um, just permeates and it's lovely. And you, obviously you don't need to eat the fig leaves, but um, they they add a really lovely flavour. Right. And so. uh, uh, baking in the oven for roughly how long? Uh, about 25 minutes. Right. Yeah, so that sounds good. That is a nice one. Definitely good. Okay, thanks very much, Rosie. And I hope Pleasure. you do have a good Christmas. And you, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. Well, they do sound like very good ideas. And if you take a walk this Christmas, you may well come across a fig tree growing somewhere so you can do a bit of foraging for your Boxing Day meal. Now, what are some local foodies with Italian connections having this Christmas? Here are Pina Broccoli Anaya of One Two Culinary Stew Food Blog and Alessandro Signorelli of Signorelli's in Burley Street. We haven't quite decided yet, but I think it'll probably be a roast beef, some really good quality meat from the butcher with some lovely gravy and the dauphinoise potatoes. It is a must as an accompaniment. Yorkshire puds as well. If not, it could be a salmon en croute with a nice side of salmon. And of course, one of the musts for me being of Italian origin is having panettone. Probably about like five or six of them over the holidays. <laughs> Just eat them as they go along. I actually don't like the classic very much because I'm not a big fan of the dried fruits. So they do have some other ones now, chocolate or salted caramel. And it's always something to have, like you'll have it for breakfast or something during the time off during the holidays. And of course it extends over into several weeks afterwards. You could do French toast with it, just dip and just have some maple syrup with it. Being from Northern Italy, it's all Bergamo, the main part of any Christmas dish in our family is polenta. Sort of a Pullman's dish at a time, and that was always accompanied with stews or fish and for that back where I'm from it's just the meats a good old-fashioned stew with polenta and that is it that is lunch sorted in a nutshell no turkey no turkey no turkey so we might have zampone or cotechino which is an Italian type of meat dishes alongside of the polenta polenta I think is one of those dishes that a fresh polenta uh, so not one of those hard polenta that is sort of uh, but a fresh polenta it's underestimated because it's although it's quite bland, it's designed to be bland because it absorbs all the flavours of the dish that you accompany it with. That's the trick. Some post-Christmas news now. Liz Young of A Modern Table is preparing food for the 28th of December, the date by which you feel you need a break from cooking. Order from the Modern Table website. Rubbish Cooks returns on the 24th of January and bookings are being taken now. This is three courses for £40, not the usual £20. Your extra donation is going to Romsey Mill Children's Charity. 
Uh, and booking for New Year's Eve at Pint Shop has opened. It's £45 per person with a glass of Prosecco on arrival and a whisky for the new year. Tables are available from 6.30. Closing time will be 9.45 for the restaurant and 12.30am for the bar. Um, Adrienne at the Wildflower Kitchen is shutting her business after eight years and starting a new job. Many thanks for your marvellous pies, Adrienne. And Vandalal is doing takeaways in January. Still some dates available you can book via their website. Now, at this point, it's time to reveal who will be using his time on Christmas Day to do something decidedly different. You'll recognise the voice straight away. Probably have the, a lot of the same as, as many people, but for me, probably the most enjoyable meal is not, not the main roast dinners and things like that, but maybe the, a day or two later when you have all the cold cuts, all the bits and pieces, the amalgamation of a week's worth of cooking different things, you can stick it all on one big plate and cover it with pickles and uh, chutneys and all of, that, all of that. For me, that's the best part. I'm going to go out on a limb here because, as you know, I don't like consumerism and I don't like everything that goes with Christmas and that's been invented around it. So actually Christmas Day is when I do my tax return <laughs> and eat leftovers. However, uh, my wife uh, cooks a lovely Christmas dinner for her children, which is on Boxing Day this year, and I shall be participating with that and proudly presenting my parsnips and Brussels sprouts and carrots and potatoes for roasting and as many other ingredients as we can get onto the uh, onto the Christmas table. Likely to be a nut roast of some description, but she's quite inventive. She will she will spend three days preparing for this, so I don't know what, what she'll come up with. I'm just looking forward to it. <laughs> yes, that was Dave Fox from Trumpington Allotments, whose produce will, I'm quite sure, be marvellous. Boxing Day will be worth waiting for. Now, with a fair bit of Christmas walking coming up, you can add to that interest by doing a bit of foraging. So here is the foraging chef, Steve Thompson, with some seasonal ideas. The first thing we're going to talk about is what spices that you can use that grow around us for your mulled wine. It's something we're really kind of passionate about because we're just not taught about it enough here. And there are so many spices that are absolutely amazing growing in this country, growing in our hedgerows, growing on the verges, and yet we ship them across the world. Spices have been shipped for literally hundreds of years, but are these spices that would historically have been used as well, hedgerow spices? Yeah, totally, totally. They would have been absolutely used. I mean, the spice trade brought in new and exciting different spices. I think they, they can still be used, there's still a place, I still have them in my spice rack at home. But we should be using the ones that grow around us a lot more and learning about them and... It's just so much better for the environment. We're saving on packaging, we're saving on air miles. We're using things that we just moan about the council not cutting down. So it saves money on that. Really, the wonderful spices that we can start using, we'll start off with Woodhaven roots. Um, it's important to say, I think we've discussed them briefly before, you have to have permission to dig things up. So you have to have permission from the landowner. But Woodhaven's a quite nice and easy one to identify. Go on your Wild Food UK pages again and stuff and have a look. But they've got the most amazing clove tasting root. So where do you find a Woodhaven? They're in any woodland around here, really, to be entirely honest. They do prefer the woodier areas, so you'll recognise them because along with burdock, they've got the seed pod that sticks to your dogs if you're a dog walker, that you end up combing out of them for hours. So, yeah, they're quite distinctive. They're quite easy to identify, especially at this time of year still. And, yeah, you dig the root out, wash all the mud off because the mud's got a really strong flavour to it, and then you can dry it out and store it, and it's just a pretty similar flavour to clove to be entirely honest so that's a lovely replacement for clove in your mulled wine 
we've got wonderful things like wild fennel that grows everywhere. I know you have it just outside your house. And the seeds for that are another lovely anise flavour, replacing the star anise you'd normally put in it. Hogweed seeds is something we talk about loads. They're my absolute favourite spice and a flavour of somewhere between orange peel and cardamom. So as you can imagine, that's another great one to use in there. Alexander seeds. Alexander seeds are kind of... I think the easiest way to describe them is our version of black pepper. They're a little bit more perfumey. They've got slight celery notes to the seed, but they're really, really peppery. And they grow all over the coastal areas, but they're also introduced here by the Romans. And if you look along the side of a lot of Roman roads, you can find evidence of Alexander's and things like that. So there are definitely patches of it around here further inland. And when you find it, they're in abundance as well. So they're another really easy one to harvest. A lot of these are the uh, Paceo family which are good to get to know because you have some poisonous ones in there. To be honest, people often say shy away from them and things like that. I think they're a really good one to get to know at the beginning because they give you a really good attention to detail. Oh, that's true, isn't it? Because there's the hemlock is the one that you must avoid, isn't it? Yeah, the hemlock, hemlock water drop war. Um, there's a few others that are a bit nasty, but they're the main two. The little attentions to detail, they're actually really easy to see once you know what you're looking for but they're a good one to get your eye in on things. But when it comes to the seed stage, what I would say is if you're not familiar with them in that stage, you're really familiar with them, watch them all year round so you know where your patches are and where they are that grow and then you can learn that plant in that stage of life. Because identifying something that's dying or dead or has got its seeds on now, ready for the next year, is very different to how it is in its prime with all its green and foliage. Have a watch of it for a year. If you're not sure for this year, maybe have a look for next year. If you're keen into your foraging, these are spices that you should have in your spice rack at home that should kind of bulk out what you have that's your shop-bought spices. And presumably as long as you dehydrate or dry them properly, they will keep for a few years. Oh, yeah, they'll keep for ages, yeah. What I would say is dehydrate them and keep them in airtight containers because like other spices, they will start to go stale. You want to, I mean, hogweed seeds, I've got hogweed seeds from four years ago that are still absolutely great. You just have to store them well. So how would you add them to your mulled wine? So all of this, we'd we choose a nice full-bodied red wine. Uh, we'd add a little bit of brown sugar, which gets depth. We add honey. We add crab apples as well, which is another good one. They're all over the roadside. You can quite often find them now. If you've got things like sloes or blackberries or uh, Oregon grapes or anything like that left in your freezer from earlier in the year, they're a good way to use that up in your mulled wine. And then just add all these spices and leave it to infuse. Then bring it up to warmth. Don't bring it to the boil. Just below that and then you're good to go. That sounds really nice and, and a bit different to, you know, your sort of clove-studded orange in your mulled wine, giving a better depth of flavour. Yeah, it does, it does. It gives a completely better depth of flavour and it's all free, apart from the wine, pretty much, and the sugar. I mean, if like yourselves, you've got bees as well, then you've got the honey to hand, the apples, all the spices. It's just a really nice... I wouldn't say easy because you've got to have the knowledge to do it, but it is a nice way of doing it, to be honest. That sounds a lovely Christmas treat. I don't think I've got enough forage seeds yet, but it's an ambition to start thinking about this for next year. I think that's the way to go, yeah, it's to build it up. And you don't just gain knowledge overnight. A little bit learn all the time. If you're constantly learning something new and picking up a new plant and things like that, it's amazing how quickly you gain a lot of knowledge. Once you get some knowledge, it's very much easier to learn more if that makes sense. So a little bit of knowledge leads to a lot of knowledge. It's getting over those first hurdles at the beginning. Hence why I was saying about the Apacio family and things, the attention to detail. It's those kind of tricks that really help you then jump in and you can 
then start to do the legwork for yourself and really working out what is what. And And you were saying that there's still a few mushrooms around we can find. Yes, so basically mushroom season really as a whole is over now. We've had the heavy frosts and things like that, but there are still mushrooms around. You will still find the odd field blurt, which we talked about last time. But really, the main two to look for at the moment are wood ears and velvet shanks. I mean, wood ears are quite nicely, easily identifiable. The only other ones you could confuse it with are some of the Pazisa species, but really, they do look quite a lot different. Yeah, you get quite a few of them around here because they like the elm and things like that. And uh, velvet shanks is one that we'll, we really enjoy using. So what we do with them is a bit more... We kind of slowly burn them in our dehydrator. So we dehydrate them at a higher temperature than we would normally a mushroom. And it gives them these really strong cow notes to them, which is one we use quite a lot in desserts and things like that because it's almost... It's, mushroom and chocolate is a really good pairing. And yes, I've had, I've had one of your lovely desserts with that in, and it's fantastic. It's such an unusual flavour, but, as you say, really distinctive. It is, and it's, it's a wonderful way of doing it. So this is our kind of one of our big harvesting times for mushrooms, and they're, they're another deadwood mushroom, and they just the woods around this area they absolutely love, and you'll just find them covered in them. It's worth learning some of the gallerina, like the funeral bell, and it's worth, yeah, to be honest, that's the main one that you want to. Sulphur tufts as well, if you're going to have a look at. They're not deadly poisonous, but they aren't going to be very nice for you. But as with mushroom identification and plant identification, it's all about attention to detail, so learn what you're picking before you eat it but velvet shanks are a really nice one they're really really well worth picking it's the uh, wild version of the enoki mushrooms that we buy from shops oh right which are the tall straw like white ones which they grow in toilet rolls with lights at the top which is why they shoot up like that and they're a very different colour obviously because of it but they do look quite similar to that type of enoki mushroom no you're not going to look at it and go that's related yeah yeah they're not a hard one to learn they've got quite distinctive really strong (laughs) stems which are quite velvety, that go from dark to light as they go up. And hence the name Velvet Shanks. Yes, exactly, yeah. But they're quite an easily identifiable one. The last couple of things we'll talk about is just what to put in a winter salad. Because I think when we get into this time of year, we often don't eat enough salads and greens and stuff. And I think that's why a lot of us feel worse for it. So I was noticing today, I was out in my back garden and my plant pots are absolutely filled at the moment with weeds. So it's going out and doing them and looking at what's growing. At the moment, we've got some wonderful hairy bittercress that's coming through. Oh, yes, I think I've got some of that in the garden, definitely. Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely wonderful. It's so nice and peppery. It's a brassica family. It's got that very um, heavy pepperiness to it with a kind of almost light mustard undertone to it and a tang. It's one of my absolute favourite wild greens anyway, and I don't think there's a better thing to put in your egg and cress sandwich than hairy bit of cress. Ooh, that sounds nice. I love a good egg and cress sandwich. Oh, it's one of my favourites. But it's a great little winter wild herb. If you're looking around your garden as well, there'll be some small dandelions around, which are also good. I mean, they're pretty much all year, but we should utilise them so much more. Alliums. There's the odd alliums starting to shoot through. I noticed that there was some three-cornered garlic shooting through the other day as well, which is another lovely one to use. That might get killed off by the heavier frost and come back again in the new year. It's worth having a look for and checking your patches now because they quite often get a good winter shoot. Any things like the wild rockets and stuff, a lot of the brassicas you can find having a little shoot and a play around about this time. A little bit of Jack by the Hedge, Aliara petiolata growing around. There's a lot of the springtime ones that kind of shoot back up again at this time after you've had the first frost and before the real heavy ones setting in the new year. Worth going out and checking all your little spring green patches and seeing what you can rustle up for a nice little uh, Christmassy winter salad. I hope that you and Rowan and your... All your family have a lovely Christmas. You too, Sue. Same to everyone. (laughs) 
There's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. And there are still plenty of new vacancies coming up despite these uncertain times. Uh, apply via websites or, when open, at a quiet time. Chefs at all levels are needed at Parker's Tavern. Fitzbillies has vacancies for a breakfast stroke brunch chef, a grill chef and a sandwich stroke prep chef, all finishing every day at 4pm. And Scottsdale's Garden Centre wants a head chef and there's no evening work there either. And there are several vacancies at university colleges. A Corpus Christi is looking for a head chef. Downing College needs a commie chef and a chef de partie. And Clare is looking for a chef de partie as well. Finally, a chef de partie is also needed at the Boot in Histon. A pizza chef is needed at a Romy. A chef is needed at the Baron of Beef. And a commie chef at the Ivy Brasserie. And that takes us to the end of our Christmas edition. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And of course, we will also be available via podcast early next week. And coming up next this afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio is Too Good To Be Forgotten, followed at 4pm by Brian O'Reilly. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 15th of January with our look back at 2021. But until then... We hope you have a very Merry Christmas and goodbye. goodbye. <laughs>